0: begin. Let's begin by reading Genesis chapter 8, Genesis 8 verses 1 to 12. Genesis 8 verses 1 to 12. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused the wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. And the water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, so she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark And the dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Let's pray. Our Lord, we know that this is your word, and we thank you that as we approach your word that you teach us about faith. You teach us about repentance. You teach us about judgment. You teach us about your grace and your mercy. Lord, teach us these truths and teach us to put faith in no one else and in nothing else but in Christ, in Christ alone, and grant us faith like Noah had to endure even these kinds of afflictions no matter how long they last. Be with us and grant us your Holy Spirit to not only understand these truths but to live accordingly. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, in chapter 8, we have the end of the flood. The end of the flood, and then at the end of the chapter of chapter 8, Noah and his family and all the animals, they disembark from the ark. There is then a restoration that begins at the end of the chapter and into chapter 9. This whole section, chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9, is a part of Genesis that deals with Noah and the flood. The whole section is that. Well, in chapter 8, verses 1 to 12, we have the the end of the flood. It begins to end. And in verse 1, it starts by saying, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him. God remembered. In the previous chapter, the flood has begun and the flood has begun to destroy. The worldwide flood has begun to destroy. For example, it says in chapter 7, Verse 21 And all flesh that moved on the earth perished birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. And the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. This is a long period of 150 days of destruction, darkness, rain, gloom, constantly. Over this period, there is no change of seasons. It's everything is dark and it's gloomy and it's rainy. And everyone and everything all outside of the ark are being destroyed, except Noah, those with him in the ark. Except for them. So, naturally, in this time of great affliction for Noah, punishment for everyone else, but affliction, temptation, um, hardship for Noah because he's in the ark. Yes, God told him many things about the coming flood, but he has to endure it still. Yeah. It's one thing to be told about what will happen, it's another thing to endure that affliction that was informed beforehand, that was told to you beforehand. And this is what Noah has to experience. Therefore, it says in verse 1, but God remembered Noah. This is here said, not only for Noah's benefit and whatever God did for Noah, but also for our benefit. Right. Just as Noah went through all of that and God was with him, God is also with us. He does not forget us. He does not forsake us. This is not the way God is. He cares about his people. He loves his people. He remembered Noah. And he also remembers us. Now, a couple of points of clarification for this. Firstly, when it says God remembered Noah, it does not mean God forgot Noah. It does not mean that God was asleep or he was busy on another section of the planet, or on another planet. Maybe he was doing a lot of busy work in Mars, or on Pluto, or on Saturn, or something like that. Or he got busy with the pantheon of gods, and there was some conflict up there. Or he had some dispute with the angels, and that distracted him with the fallen angels, the righteous angels, and all that. No, that doesn't. that's not what God remembered means. And that's needed to be said, that clarification is needed, because there is a movement, there is a theology known as Open Theology, Open Theology, it's it's quite a euphemistic term, Open Theology. They say that the future is open to God, the future is open to God, that's what they mean by it. And open sounds nice, it sounds free. It sounds wonderful, like open borders. Open sounds nice. It sounds nice, but that's not really what it is. It's destructive borders. And in the case of open theism, it's about free will. They say, it's, that's another term that they themselves use to describe it. It's free will theism. Open theism or free will theism, which means that the free will of man is unknown to God in the sense that... God does not know what you will do with your choice, with your will, in the next minute, in the next 10 minutes, in the next 100 minutes, or however long in the future, God does not know. So God, he forgets, he doesn't have all the knowledge, he doesn't even have future knowledge of what we will do. He doesn't have that, according to free will theism. Actually, a better term to describe all of this Well, one would be free will theism because that's what they put their hope in, their free will. But the other way is to call it ignorant theism. Ignorant theism because God is ignorant. God is ignorant. In fact, God is an ignoramus. He just doesn't know. He doesn't have this knowledge. That's the kind of God that they have created. And how do they do it? They do it on the basis of verses such as Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered God, remember, they do it on the basis of Genesis chapter six, Genesis chapter six, verse six, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. He was sorry and he was grieved. Why was he sorry and he and grieved because he didn't know what was going to happen. But then when it does happen, then he experiences grief because of what he experiences as the events of human actions unfold. That's the way God is. However, this is an example of the Bible using human terms, human ways of understanding, human ways of comprehension, known as anthropomorphisms, human forms. He uses human forms, human examples, in order to explain that he is working with us and trying to give us an indication of how he interacts with us. That's what it's trying to say. It's trying to say he doesn't forget. And then when he does seem to have forgotten in our comprehension, then he acts. And when he acts, when he moves to aid us in our times of afflictions, it's in a sense from our perspective that he remembered us. It's as though he forgot us. And then when he does act on our behalf, it's as though He remembered us. That's all that it's saying. And we can use many, many examples in the Bible to explain this. Does not the Bible call God light? Does not the Bible call Jesus a door? Jesus is a door. Jesus is a shepherd, correct? If G- in Jesus or the Father in Christ, uh, the vine dresser and the vine, right? And we are the branches. He says, you are the branches, John 15. Is Jesus really a vine? Is God really a vine dresser? The Bible calls God a potter. Is he in heaven making things out of clay all the time? Is he actually literally making things out of clay? The Bible calls God a fortress, a rock. It says that we can hide under the shadow of his wings. The Bible says this all over the place. Using these human Metaphors, human experiences in order for us to understand some truth about God. So in this case, God does not forget. It may seem like he forgot, but he does not forget. When it says God remembered, he re- is remembering in order to assist Noah or to deliver Noah from his trials. Now, let's look at Other examples of God doing this and saying this. Exodus chapter, uh, or firstly, Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. When it says God remembered, Noah should know that God would not forget. And that when God says he's going to do something, it's going to happen. Such as Genesis 6, 18. When God announced the flood to Noah, it says in verse 18, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. I will establish my covenant with you. That means that the people of the earth did not have God establish the covenant with them. They were destroyed. And if they were destroyed, that means that God is not going to destroy Noah. He's going to preserve Noah because God has established his covenant, his everlasting covenant, his covenant of salvation covenant of peace covenant of grace he's establishing this with him so from that word noah should know okay this will last a while and then i will be delivered from it so that time of deliverance is god's saying here in genesis 8 1 god remembered noah so that's one way noah would know that god is going to deliver him there will be a time that god will fulfill his word Our our second example is in Exodus chapter 2, Exodus 2, verse 23, Exodus 2, 23 to 25. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. Hundreds of years have passed from the time of Abraham when God announced it and the time of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. They become numerous and they are enslaved. So Exodus 2, 23, now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. This remembering the covenant is not that God forgot the covenant, but we know from this narrative in Exodus that God is about to act In a way that he has not acted before, in order to fulfill an aspect of the covenant, to deliver them from that bondage and give them the land of Canaan. That's what it means. It's fairly simple and straightforward. It's not that God forgot. Psalm 77. Psalm 77 and verse 7. Psalm 77 7 to 10. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he, in anger, withdrawn his compassion? These are the questions of one in hardship, right? Okay, then, verse 10. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. You see, because of his grief, because of his anxiety, because of his hardship, he had these questions, he had these thoughts. But he knows God hasn't forgotten because he explains, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Because of his grief, from his own perspective, he thought... God's right hand, his powerful right hand was not at work in his life, was not helping him, would not help him, would not deliver him. Right. That's the way to look at it. That's what he says here. It was his circumstances that caused him to be bewildered. We might think of Job. Job was a faithful and righteous man. No sin in his life caused all of his afflictions in his life. Yet during those times of afflictions, He wondered, just like the psalmist does in Psalm 77, he wondered if God had completely forsaken him. He wondered about that because he was in the midst of hardship. But if you asked him, if you got to his real core, he would say, no, of course not. But he was spouting all kinds of nonsense about God forsaking him and God doing things unjustly to him in the meantime. And when he was confronted by God, he repented of it. And that's what is happening here, too. He's asking these questions in verses 7 to 9, but in Psalm seventy-seven ten, 10, he realizes, listen, it's really my problem. It's my grief that has caused me to ask these questions and to think that God's right hand has changed. But his right hand has not changed. It's still powerful. It's still active. And it will still help me and deliver me from my stress and distress. Furthermore, Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations 3. This is the prophet Jeremiah praying at this point. The prophet Jeremiah. Remember, the prophet is a righteous man. He's a saved man. He's been redeemed. So he cries out to God because his nation, his temple, all of his people, a lot has been destroyed. Right? So he says in 319, we'll read a part of this. Lamentations 319. Remember my affliction... And my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of, Of the Lord, it is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth, so forth. He continues to explain that God is good, God is righteous, God is powerful, he will do whatever he wishes, and we should trust in that. And so when he says in 319, remember my affliction, all he's saying is, act to deliver me. I plead with you, God, deliver me from these afflictions. That's all he's meaning. He's not saying, God, I know you forgot, so I'm trying to help you remember. He doesn't mean that at all. And can we also not see in Romans chapter 8 the same truth? Romans chapter 8. The whole passage from verses 26 to 39 will help us in understanding this. But we'll pick it up at verse 35. Romans eight thirty five, after explaining that God loves us and God has chosen us and he will deliver us just as he delivered Christ, right. then he says, because we are in union with Christ, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. He cares for us. He does not forsake us or forget us. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Thirteen, 5, 5 and 6. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Now, back to Genesis 8. No one knows these truths. No one knows these truths, and these are the truths that sustained him over this long period of the flood. If we calculate it from ch- chapter 7 and 8, the flood lasted a span of 371 days. 371 days. Over a year in, in the solar reckoning of a year. Over a year... He sees darkness, he sees misery, he sees all kinds of destruction all around him. Remember, there's a window in the ark. So he could see some things happening during all this period of time, he and the others, but God took him through all of that. He took him through a kind of death. And this kind of death is also what we experience in baptism, such as in Romans 6. Romans 6, 1 Peter 3, Verse 20, that just as God, even Peter, cites Noah as an example of baptism. Noah went through this baptism for 371 days. He went through a kind of death, and then he was resurrected in that he was brought out of the ark. In the same way, we, when we are baptized by immersion in water, we experience, in terms of a symbol, a kind of a death. And we identify with Christ. And when we come out of the water, it's like a resurrection. It's signifying our spiritual death and then our spiritual resurrection. This is what God does all the time. He does this with Noah here. He does this with our baptism. He he does it with all of our life experiences. He brings us down. He puts us in darkness and misery and affliction. And then he delivers us. He brings us low to humble us. And then he raises us up. And, and puts us in a high place. He who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted, Luke 14, 11. This is what Jesus says is the pattern of the way that God works in everyone's life. And, and in particular, in the life of the faithful is what we have in mind in our passage. So, in God's remembrance, what does he do? He exerts his mighty power. Verse 1 says, God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. He caused the wind to pass over and the water subsided. This is God's sovereignty, His almighty power at work to do whatever He wants. He's the one that brought about this destruction and now He's going to bring a relief from this destruction and renewal from this destruction because of His mighty wind. Remember also, when the Exodus occurred, It was a great wind that God caused to come and divide the Red Sea. And because of that great wind, Exodus 14, 21, that great wind, that's how the people were able to walk across on dry ground. This is the first and universal example of God doing so. He not only used his mighty power to bring water on the whole earth in the first place, Genesis chapter 1, then he separated the waters And then during this flood, he's bringing all these waters back. And now to deliver Noah and family and animals, he's going to separate the waters or he's going to cause dryness by his mighty power and his wind. Jesus also had this power, did he not? Remember when they were on the sea in the boat and the disciples were afraid? Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Jesus said a word and then the sea calmed down and they said, And the men marvel saying, who is this that the winds and the sea obey him? him? Who is this? This is God. Because he's acting on behalf of his people to do the miraculous and to deliver them. And then specifically, what does he do? Verse 2. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained. What he did initially to bring about the flood that is, from the subterranean waters and the waters above in the atmosphere, what he did there to bring uh, enormous amounts of water on the earth, now he restrains them. He puts them back in their place. He restrains and puts them back in their place. Verse 3, And because he did this, the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. That is... The water is decreasing more and more. So what what's filling the earth, he is now seeing by the powerful hand of God, by the powerful word of God, that this is now um, dissipating and it is drying up. It continues. Noah sees this, so Noah sees light at the end of the tunnel. God is giving him gradually this picture, this idea that it's going to get better. As God had already said, now God is beginning to fulfill it. And this is what often God does to us. He'll give us some indication, some token that things will get better so that our faith is sustained through affliction, through persecution, through the endurance that we must have in experience. He gives that, that also not only to us, but he gave it to Noah. Further, Verse 4, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. So, seven months have passed, and I take this to be seven months from the time of uh, chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. And then if you compare it to chapter 8, verse 13, now it came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. And then verse 14, and in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. I take this to be like, uh, in comparison to chapter 7, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, and in the second month, 17th day, from that time onward, I think is the calculation. So, seven months later, the Ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. Now, it says mountains. Of course, it means it was on one of the mountains, but the mountains are close together, and there are many peaks in the mountains. So, on one of those mountains, in this place called Ararat. And typically, scholars are, are agreed that this Ararat is in modern Armenia, modern Armenia, and so, there's no real dispute about that. It was in that region that it was settled, or rested upon the mountains. Verse 5, And the water decreased steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So, water is receding steadily. The ark has enough dry ground under it to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and then, after that, in the tenth month, three months later, the tops of the mountains become visible. The tops of the mountains are visible. Another gradual indication that God is with Noah and helping him, and about to deliver him. Then verse 6, then it came about at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. So he waits 40 more days because he sees not only that the tops of the mountains are visible, but he could also see that the water had receded. Perhaps he cannot see far enough down to to know and understand, and that's why he sends out a raven, a raven. A raven is a bird of prey, so it's going to eat the carcasses of, of dead creatures. And it usually will eat the carcasses of dead creatures when there's enough dryness for them to be just be lying there on the ground. So no one knows this, and so he sends out the raven to see if it is that dry. He wants to see if it is that dry, and it says it went, flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. So he could tell it was not that dry because it was flying here and there, and he could see that it was not resting. If it had rested and disappeared, Then it would have been completely dry. So he knows that. Second, verse 8, Then he sent out a dove from him to to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark, and the dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So no one knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now, with this process with the dove, he finds that the water is still decreasing, the water is still drying up, and at this point, after this process with the dove, the dove does not return, which means the dove had enough dry space on the trees and on the ground, enough dryness to be able to survive and did not need to come back to the ark. Then we'll see in the, our next passage at the end of the ch- chapter 13 and following that he still had to wait. Even though the birds could be there, he had to wait for himself and for the animals because it would still have likely been quite muddy and difficult to tread on that ground. So he had to wait some more. But at this point, he sees it's getting better, and it's getting better and better, all by the will of God and all by the sovereignty of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.